welcome to episode 28 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded July 10th, 2019. My name is Ian, and I live on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader, and field officer for the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights, and also my farm's designated handyman. Eric has lost all interest in being prompt, as he tends to prioritize actual work over hosting an unpaid podcast. I mean, I do too, but here I am. I'm Alan. Uh, my friends and family call me a safety nerd. My background as a first responder helped me develop a mind for safety. I teach first aid, coach my family and friends to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade. I've worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. All right, we have some uh, high-rise content for you this episode, guaranteed to elevate your knowledge and provide some bird's-eye view on prepping. Is that too many dad jokes? No such thing. All right. We're going to start off with some news articles related to preparedness of the outdoors. Then we'll be uh, letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode. Then we'll get into the main topic for this episode, which is prepping for condo life. News time. Uh, So for myself, I had a couple articles in here. Uh, Interestingly enough, the walleye fishery in Lake Winnipeg is under scrutiny. Um, Once again, it seems that the government does not know how to manage a fishery. I know this may come as a shock. Shocking. (laughs) Yeah, if the- absolutely blown away that a bunch of people who have who who've never fished are 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 having a hard time managing a fishery. So it turns out, just like the cod industry in uh, in Newfoundland, that you know it's gotten to the point where it's almost in collapse, and they're saying, "Hey, we should probably do something about this, and let's just you know restrict the commercial fishermen, and you know, I don't know, we'll just uh, put some arbitrary restrictions that might or might not help. We don't know." <laughs> <laughs> I, I read the article and I was kind of laughed. I was like. You know, most of these people, just like hunters, know how to like maintain a, a sustainable fishery, and yet the government puts in these restrictions that make no sense whatsoever. And of course, it's it's only going to affect the local families. It's not going to actually fix the fishery. It just it's mind blowing to read some of these articles sometimes. But once again, I think my main po- uh, point with this one was that you know a food source is never guaranteed, and if you could take it worldwide with the way that we don't really manage a, a worldwide ocean fishery, you never know when that food uh, supply is going to collapse. So something to keep in mind. That's a, that's a, a valid point to take away from that. Yeah, I mean, like you look at some of these factory uh, ships that are roaming the oceans nowadays, and they they're not really managed per se, and they just you know randomly help themselves. So if they one day just can't get any more fish, then what, right? And they've already talked about that's the one food supplier he's worried the most about. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the other one I was going to mention was uh, cell coverage uh, lost in various parts of Canada, including nine one one services, and it what I found. Me. Yeah, uh, what I found that interesting about that is that I think Eric even mentioned in the notes here that normally, even if you don't have a SIM card in the cell phone, you can still dial dial nine one one normally. But that's a phone thing. Like, so the actual uh, service providers, like the actual towers, were out, meaning that no matter what your phone had for a SIM card or not, you weren't going to be able to call nine one one at all. It's true. Yeah, a good so, reminder uh, that it's it's not a bad idea to keep a landline around. I know a lot of houses aren't even being built with them anymore, but um, have a landline that you can plug into your wall, have that have your phone, like your house connected to the phone lines, uh, because even without a even without service to your phone, you can still dial nine one one if you can plug it into the wall. Yeah, and I just yeah. thought it was interesting the fact that that was the one of the few times you've heard about actual service outages being nationwide with the actual service provider. Yeah, it's it's usually they're usually isolated pockets and they're usually pretty quick to resolve. But that one was, I was I was traveling and you know my phone wouldn't connect to anything. I still had data coverage. I could still get texts, but I couldn't. I had no uh, I had no phone connectivity at all. Yeah, for a couple of couple of days actually. Yeah, I had one for you there. Not that I ever actually call anyone, but it it was a thing that happened. So. (laughs) So one more, Uh, I guess. eh? 
Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the last article that we have up here um, is that we have a bunch of residents in Manitoba evacuated due to wildfires. Um, that's in uh, Little Grand Rapids, it looks like. And it's a... Um, it's the time of the year, right? We've got wildfires. We've got, uh, you know, you've got a lot of people out there doing their best to make it uh, to mitigate the damage. But um, you're going to have to be prepared to pack up and haul out if uh, if things go if things go sour, and if you know if the winds shift, they can't control that uh, can't control that fire. Then you've got to be prepared to be gone. Well, especially uh, if you live in that. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. As you can see, you know, when you're living in a town that doesn't have a road in or out, and the only way to know it is by air or boat, I mean, it might behoove you to have a, a well well supplied or well, uh, I guess, a well well planned out so uh, a evacuation route by a boat. Because, I mean, they had uh, planes going in and out of there. I noticed on the article, and they were only able to hold like 10 people at a time, and there's like 1,300 people in the village, so that's a lot of a lot of airplane trips in and out. So I mean, it's these a lot people, of aircraft in and out. Yeah, so these people are sitting there waiting to get evacuated, but. They're waiting for like just dribs and drabs of people to get evacuated. So of course they were prioritizing, you know, sick people, babies, you know, older people, and everything else first. But the rest of people yeah, are sitting women there and children going, first. Yeah. So the rest of people are just sitting there going, "Hey, it'd be great if I could get out too." But uh, and of course, I know up there. I mean, there's there's no shortage of river and water systems. At least you could be able to try and outrun uh, some of the fires. Or if you're on a bigger lake, like uh, I'm not sure about Little Grand, but I know there's a river system that goes through it. You must be able to get downstream mm-hmm. to another town, right? Well, I mean, water, water leads to somewhere, right? Even if not, you know, even if all you can do is get out on the water, at least, you know, you're not going to catch fire. Yeah. I just, uh, it was fascinating that, you know, even with a, a pretty intensive rescue effort mounted, it still takes days and days and days to get me out of town, right? So, well, yeah. And I mean, it's because you, you also have the limitations of the, uh, of the land itself, right? Because if you can only get, uh, if you can only get a certain size of aircraft in, you can't, you can't just, you know, bring in a C-17 and land on the, land on the, you know, the short, the short gravel runway that they've got there at Little Grand, load everybody up and take off all at once, which would be great. But I mean, if the runway doesn't accommodate it, I know when I, uh, when I flew in, uh, when I flew in Northern Ontario on the air ambulance, we had to, we weren't allowed to ca- have jets. Mm-hmm. We, we used, we had them and then we, and then we had to go, we had to drop down to the King Airs because the, the runways weren't long enough. In the yeah. in some of these remote communities, and so we had to we ha- we ha- we were severely limited by the size of aircraft that we could get in and out. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Awesome. All right, so what have we done lately for preps, Ian? All right, well I'm gonna be a little chatty with this one, but <laughs> here we go. So I started off. Uh, this has been I think three weeks since I've been on the podcast, so I had a bit of a build up here. So I met up with uh, listener Raphael. And we uh, managed to meet up and have a great little chat, and he uh, joined our little discussion group, which was fantastic. Uh, really nice guy, uh, very interested in the preparedness aspect of things, and he's got some really good ideas to share. So that was awesome. neat. Uh, got saved by Vortex Optics. So I had a optic that I bought used off uh, Canadian Gun Nuts, and I got, for the first time, I don't know how long, I actually kind of got rooked. But uh, just like Fisker's axes and uh, Craftsman tools, Vortex Optics are great in the fact that they have a unlimited unconditional lifetime warranty don't have to be the first owner and so what happened was i sent in this optics saying hey this thing is like not working and uh of course the other guy didn't bother to mention that to me 
But uh, when it showed up, it wasn't working. So I sent it in, just asking for repair, and you know, I was, uh, you know, I offered to pay for everything, and and they're like, no, no, here you can just have a brand new one, and because they don't make that model anymore, we'll give you the new better one that's worth about two hundred dollars more. So darn, hey, yeah, that happens. So to the guy that worked me on Gunnuts, I have to say, huh. <laughs> because <laughs> I managed to totally score a much better optic off them, so, and you know, like yeah, no kidding. And, and so again, like I promised them, I would. I have to give a shout out to Vortex Optics right now because they stand by their warranty, and no Fantastic. questions asked, well, right? And well, that's great. That's great. I, I love I love hearing when when companies actually actually go above and beyond to uh, to make it to make it right. That's uh, uh, it's a rarity these days, and I'm glad that it happened. Well, I'm, and what else you got? I followed my sword, especially I, I right off the bat I said, "Listen, I'm not the first owner. I you know I, this is what's what's happened." And they they not even a, a hiccup. It was amazing. So, anyways, uh, moving along, podcaster charity shoot. So, uh, yeah, that was really awesome. Uh, in in a couple words or less, and uh, right so based, it was Dak and Drumheller as we mentioned before. Uh, did a bit of a write up on this as well as we're going to see below here so um it was interesting for me from a preparedness perspective because it's the first time i've ever really worked on shooting under some very mild competitive pressure but it was just neat to see some peers watching what you're doing and and offering really good constructive advice or uh even just you know uh, uh videotaping so you can watch yourself later uh which is really neat um i attended a stop the bleed class so That's that was great that was pretty great awesome. class eh yeah, yep. so uh, Gavin from the other two, the CPP, Canadian Patriot Podcast, was uh, teaching that one. And interestingly enough, in the Stop the Bleed class was pretty much all the podcasters, as well as a couple other local guys, which was pretty cool. Um, so that was the first time I'd met half the podcasters that I'm about to mention anyway. Cool. Uh, yeah, so I mean, there's people from uh, Slamfire Radio, New Shooter Canada, uh, ourselves, uh, Canadian Patriot Podcast, uh, and also uh, the manager of the Armed Squirrels from the States. Actually, she was up here too. So that was kind of nice. cool. Um, so we had a, a really good exchange of ideas. Um, let's see here. What else was going on? Uh, Rod Giltaka was there from uh, CCFR. We had uh, Rob Furlong. A, uh, you know, he had, For the longest time, he had the world record uh, longest shot, uh, kill shot in Afghanistan. And yep. I don't know if you remember that. But anyways, there's a, some shenanigans. Like something like two and a half kilometers or something. Yeah, and so he was actually manning the 300-yard bench, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> so, he probably throw it more accurately than I could shoot at that range. Yeah, and the best part is he was offering, like, he was actually uh, showcasing some of the rifles that he has company and works with him. And he yep. was, uh, you know, again, really outgoing, really uh, approachable guy. Uh, fantastic. Anyways, and so, um, yeah, awesome. lots of fun to be had. Uh, so moving along. After I left the podcast for show shoot, I went and visited my parents' acreage and uh, checked out their little preparedness setup, which was kind of neat. Uh, but other than that, really, I've been working a lot, and that's why I missed the last couple of podcasts. So that's pretty much where I stand. Well, there. we we almost we almost missed you. So <laughs> almost. <laughs> I'll stay away longer next time. That's fine. <laughs> um, for me, I uh, I spent last week driving. I loaded uh, um, a truck with uh, with a bunch of camping gear and drove it to the east coast. Um, learned a lot about, uh, about actually bugging out with family and being away, you know, being awake for, you know, almost two full days and all of those good things, um, decided that I'm never going to listen to Google maps again. It was, uh, it, it led me astray on three separate occasions. You know, I'd come up to an intersection and it would say, you know, turn right to go east and I'm trying to go west. And it would take, so I figure, okay, well, I'll follow it because maybe it knows something I don't. And then it would say, turn left and then go around this road and then go right and go west on this road. 
So it, it would literally just take me off on a on a tangent just to bring me straight just to bring me straight back to where I was. So you know, it did um, that to me. It did that to me a couple on the way out to the charity shoot. It did that to me uh, right around Hope, where the, all the highways kind of converge at the end of Vancouver, and uh, it, it actually worked me over took me through the town of hope for no reason which i i was like that doesn't seem right but i thought maybe it'd do better no it didn't and yeah, then, no but, it didn't so but on the way back at the very same area it took me off the highway and i was like i don't know and it was kind of nearing rush hour and sure enough it saved me about 20 minutes of traffic because it it, it basically looped me around a bunch of traffic and then put me back on the highway ahead of it all so oh, i'm like so i guess okay. i guess there's that yeah so it was good. so yeah that's um that's that's a thing to work on um, what else did I learn? I learned that um, it's important to invest in good lighting for your vehicle. So I was driving in rural New Brunswick at night where there's nothing but bugs and moose. And I couldn't see a damn thing. Like there was no, like there was no, no moonlight penetrating the trees. Um, so, you know, good headlights are not enough um, when it comes time for your bug out vehicle. And we'll have an episode on that coming up at some point. Uh, when it comes time for your bug out vehicle, have have good lighting that so you can see as much around you as possible. Um, the, the another thing I learned is that bug spray is is an absolute necessity. Uh, there's no, uh, there's just no option with that, it, especially on the especially on the coast. I mean, there were. Um, I'll put a picture up on my uh, on my Instagram that I took after the, uh, and you know the truck was literally just like covered in, you know. If it's not if it's not tens of thousands, I'd be shocked of, of dead mosquitoes um, from just driving through just driving through the bush. Um, there's no such thing as too much bug spray, so that's um, that was something there. Uh, I was able to visit the family acreage, which I've decided is possibly my uh, my um, my new my new go to location um, if the if the S really does hit the a, hit the H but F, but it, that's um, that's another thing. So. It's uh, it's a it's a long haul from here to there. So it was about seventeen hours, seventeen hours straight, um, and a lot of gas. So that's uh, getting there. Getting there would be great, but getting there would be a huge challenge because I would have to go. There's no way to not do that while while going through Toronto, unless I end up on some kind of large boat and I can take the St. Lawrence. But that's a uh, that's a different that's a different thing entirely. So my kids got to go put their feet in the Atlantic Ocean, and that was kind of cool. And. Uh, that was that was my that was my big thing was learning how much how much I don't need on a road trip. Yeah, there was, uh, there was I, I packed a lot more than I needed to, and and we were comfortable, but I could have done with a whole lot less. Yeah, you made a good point too about like a seventeen-hour trip. You know, with you know, you mentioned the uh, you might need some strategic fuel caches along the way too. If that was absolutely the, if that was actually the case. But, well, yeah, because there's I mean there's just just by mileage, um, you know the. Uh, the truck, the truck that I was in had a had a, a uh, gave me a range of about a thousand kilometers, and that's about sixteen hundred kilometers if I drive it if I drive it straight. So no matter what, I'm going to need two tanks of gas. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, realistically, I would need three. So figuring out how to get how to find those reserves along the way if gas pumps aren't working anymore, that would be that would be my challenge. So that's uh, that's something to, something to work on for me. That's going to be going to come become part of the plan. Cool. All right. Well, it's time to move on to the main topic of the show. Um, right off the hop, I guess we should talk about uh, the fact that it's tough love time here. Uh, apartment prepping, it's just not sustainable long term, right? I think no, long term, I, I agree with you 100%. It's, uh, you know, it, it's, there's, so, there's so many drawbacks, but uh, I think for short term, it's probably better than being in a house in an urban area. 
Yeah, I think you're right because, like, I think most of my notes here are going to focus more on short-term emergencies, like under a month without power or heat. But yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, like I think you're going to mention down below the heat aspect, but I mean, right off the bat, uh, OPSEC. So it's my pet peeve with I, I'm actually broadcasting from an apartment right now, so it works out well. Um, <laughs> you know, as a as a stopover spot for the charity shoot and everything else, I mean, I had to rush stuff in and out to make sure that the neighbors don't see because it's you know from a theft perspective slash you know neighborhood concern perspective everything else. You got to kind of sneak stuff in and out, and it's just yeah, like it's absolutely. not it's not cool. Um, I wish I didn't have to do that, but unfortunately, the society we're in nowadays, you kind of have to because if somebody sees you carting in, you know, I'm just saying, jerry cans or propane tanks or guns or ammo or or anything that looks like non-standard in society, people are going to like raise an eyebrow, right? Absolutely, and it it, it uh, definitely takes away from being the gray man if you're the guy that has, you know, it's always bringing in boxes of whatever boxes yeah. of cans, boxes of yeah and, and, and really, there's no way like i lived in apartments when i was younger and there's there's no way to avoid people seeing it everybody knows what everybody's doing yeah and even like so you can't have a truck uh, certainly uh, out of the gray man theory you know you don't want to have a truck with the the ccfr stickers and the buck mark and everything else on your truck because it's yeah. not going to help either but uh like i was just thinking what's happened to my apartment lately so this is actually kind of funny because you're going to get a kick out of this but uh Access to the apartment by the landlord, which is a regular thing. Uh, so you want to make sure that what you have is is kind of like on the down low. Strata yep. people, like uh, repair guys coming in to fix a toilet while you're not there or whatever, which which they can enter if, if there's a, a water leak or whatever. So you better yep. have your stuff squared away while you're gone. But here's where it came in funny because one of my neighbors actually left a burner uh, a pot on the stove. So it caused a bunch of smoke. And what happened about three months ago was uh, the fire alarm went off. And even though it was like the fire alarm for a different apartment was indicating that different apartment, the fireman yep. came in and to take those big, what do they call those, Halley tools or Halley? Hall- Halligan bar, yep. Halligan bar. Anyways, and of course, they just ripped right through the deadbolts and uh, yep. bent the metal frames of the door, which are nice solid metal frames, and just basically split the door right open so they could k- kick the door down. Um and they, but they went through four apartments before they found the one that was actually on fire. <laughs> and so and it wasn't even like when I say on fire, I mean just smoking heavily. But anyway, um, so the problem is that even if it's by accident, they don't mean to go into your place, they might. And, you yep. know, if you have anything that looks bizarre. Um, well, there's also a good chance that they did it on purpose so that if there was a fire, when they got to that apartment, they A, had an area of refuge for themselves and B, they knew where people were to evacuate. Yeah. So there's a good chance they actually did it on purpose. Um but there's also there's an also an equal chance that they didn't know which which unit to go into and um, <laughs> this guy excited or something. I'm not gonna lie, it's fun breaking down doors. So. Yeah, so I mean, so it's just a constant concern for making what you have stored less conspicuous, and it doesn't have to be anything like crazy like guns or ammo. I'm just saying food, water, whatever. But yeah, anyway, absolutely. so the other thing that I run into uh, when I was thinking about here is like fuel storage restrictions. So like we have a barbecue yep. here and you know a propane tank and stuff, but there is strata restrictions on having jerry cans, propane bottles. Um, sure. Either fire code or strata restrictions that says you know what you can't. Well, I think fire fire code says you can't you can't take flammables in an elevator. Yeah, uh, so. which I don't think has ever stopped anybody in the history of the world. But that's like if you if you follow the rules, then you've got to you got to hump that stuff up the stairs. And I, my my first apartment was on the 16th floor. My second apartment was on the 25th floor, and I did those stairs up once, and that was enough. <laughs> Yeah, and so I mean, like even uh, if you have a couple of jerry cans sitting on a on a deck, just you know, because you yeah. might have a generator there or, or whatever, you know, certainly the neighbors going to complain, right? And absolutely, that's a yeah, it's, yeah, and I mean, 
you know, building code is one thing, but the but the rules of a condo corporation are something entirely different. And the chances are really good that um, even if there's no law prohibiting such things, that the condo corporation rules of being a good neighbor, which are so broad that they give they give the condo corporation almost limitless power within within the within the the facility, um, which is another pet peeve. But that's that's a rant for the other CPP. Uh, <laughs> but they, yeah. Um, yeah, they can they can say you know it's you know you've got all these jerry cans, but you you're creating a hazard, you're creating an unpleasant environment, you're creating whatever. Get rid of it, and yeah. you don't have a choice. It goes. And so, depending on the construction of your apartment, of course, too is like, you know, it's great for like a month's worth of food and water. But if you have like a whack of food and water around your apartment, having the space for it is one thing. But even the weight of it, like a, some depending on how your apartment's built, if it's a wood frame, maybe it can't support yep. the weight of like a, a water bob or a. You know, anything else around that, the, you know, even a couple of big water tanks, I mean, it might start cracking wood. I mean, it depends on how crappily your apartment it could, is. Yeah, absolutely. It could, it could very well. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly it's certainly a consideration. I mean, most apartments are designed for, like, ridiculous load levels, but that's assuming you're living in a, in a condo that, that's, you know, that was built to code and hasn't been altered and... Uh, you know, you've got a you've got a solid concrete floor. I lived in a I lived in an apartment above a, above a uh, above a, a business on main like a small town on Main Street. The building was a hundred years old and everything was wood frames. So if I tried to uh, if I tried to make things any uh, um, any heavier than they were, then there was there's definitely a, a challenge going on there. So, yeah. um, so I mean, we had de- definitely uh... definitely some limitations there. Oh yeah, and so I mean, like, we're just talking limitations first, but there's also some advantages too. Um, alternative heat solutions can be an issue, but it also can actually be helpful because I think you had a couple points below there as well. But so I mean, what we had here is we have radiant, uh, like hot water heat, and of course, lo and behold, the boiler went out a couple of years ago there, and um, yeah, so what happened was if you didn't have electric heater, well, you're out of luck. So and yep. uh, at the time we didn't have one until the landlord brought one over here, but. Uh, we ended up having wool being our best friend, so wool toques, wool blankets, you know, sure. everything else, yeah, because sure. it, it doesn't take long, even in the, in the mild climate of Vancouver here, it's uh, it doesn't take much before it's like, yeah, it's pretty frigid in January still, and uh, <laughs> you want to make sure you have some sort of alternate heat source, even if it's just wool or heavy blankets or some sort of insulating well, and, material. Well, and, and, you know, having enough, uh, having enough um, space blankets to reflect your, to keep your heat back in, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, which is which is another which is another you know thing to do, um, and yeah, you're right that uh, solar and your 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 point about the solar makes sense too. You've got most one of the advantages of an apartment is that you're up nice and high, so you've got most apartments will have a couple of hours, at least a few hours a day where you're in full sun. So a good solar a good deployable solar panel system would be excellent for charging batteries and generating heat and whatever. Yeah, so I mean, like the the advantage of an apartment, I think at this point is that if you do have an electric heater and you're only like staying in one little room, it takes zero energy really to get that heater going and heat up the whole room to an acceptable yep. level because it's not a huge space and because your neighbors below will probably have some sort of heating system, uh, they're going to give you yep. some radiant heat from below as well. Um, I did mention yeah the solar. So if you have a south facing window, it doesn't take much to put a tiny little panel to run a little battery system. If you want to, just but keep not even south. Charged. I mean, anything, anything other than north, you're yeah. going to get at least at least a few hours a day of daylight. Yeah, of, so direct, of direct sunlight. Yep. You know, even if it's just enough to charge your phone and give you some some basic light with an LED light. Um, yep. But of course, with that offset thing coming into play again, if 
you know, if it runs into a longer emergency, you want to have some blackout curtains to make sure nobody else knows at night that you have a light and maybe exactly. more you stuff. Exactly. Right? You don't want to stand there. When I lived in an apartment, I worked nights, so I had uh, I had like serious blackout curtains, and uh, to the point where I would even put uh, like wrap cardboard in like a solar blanket that was fit tight to the window, so it would reflect the heat back out. Yep. Um, but you know you don't want to you don't want to be doing that unnecessarily either because if uh, um, if you end up with um, if, you, if you end up changing things when things go south, then you end up you end up uh, you know, creating a, creating a, a more visible image as, as opposed to as opposed to staying low key. Yeah, it was actually so kind of funny. Uh, when, I, when I lived up in the territories uh, during the twenty four hour uh, daylight during the summertime, we actually put tinfoil on the windows and duct taped it into place. Yeah, uh, sure. just to keep absolute blackout right to because uh, or else you couldn't sleep so you couldn't is... sleep otherwise yeah for sure oh yeah so and of course um, so we've got, i mean we, we mentioned generator use and there's just i mean it lets you almost have to take it off the table there's unless you live in like a three-story walk up you're not going to be able you're not going to be able to like have a generator there anyways if you if you end up storing it you don't you can't store it inside or you're the overwhelm you um so I would say, like, just you can't have a generator if you if you live in an apartment, unless you happen to be on the top floor and you can mount it to your roof. Yeah, I think you know if you could put like a couple of large panels in your closet, maybe run them out uh, if need be. Get a larger solar system, you might be able to run a very small ceramic or electric heater in a closed off room, sure. which might be just enough. Or even just even just charge a charge a car, a car battery so that you can run a run a small like run a little twelve volt heater. Yeah, a little little buddy heater or something. Um, yep. Ca- Catalytic, catalytic heaters, like a propane power, like the one-pound bottle, you can get those little catalytic heaters yep. that work off those. I mean, they still throw off some heat, but of course, then you have to open it and get some fresh air, which negates kind of the benefit of the... I, I'm not 100% on those, but that is... Uh, because of the small space, it's actually an advantage in the fact that you don't need a whole bunch of heat output and BTUs to... Well, yeah, and you, and you don't need to be running it all night either, right? Is, yeah. You know, you get it warm, you, you, you keep it, you know, you use that to, to keep the edge off and then, in, you know, run it again in the middle of the night to keep you keep you going. Uh, yeah, there. I mean, there are just, there's so many, so many considerations. It, it depends on how high up you are and, and where you are and, um, you know, which way you face, but you just got to plan to be on your own. You know, it's, it's, it's an indoor camping trip. You're not going to have access to water. You're not going to have access to to power. Likely, um, you're not going to be. You know, the the big for me, I think the biggest consideration is that if things go south, where's your where's the apartment? Right, there aren't apartments in rural areas. You're you're likely right in the middle of downtown. Everything, right? That's why we have these human filing cabinets, is to get you closer to the action. So. You know, I you know I was driving the, I was driving the 401 through Toronto on the weekend, and you know you just see you know thousands upon thousands of people living in these teeny tiny little quarters, and you're you're 10 miles from the nearest green space, right from the from the from the first open field. Mm-hmm. That's a long way to go, with a lot of people between you and city. Actually. From a personal perspective, I, I used to like eye things up in Toronto back when I lived in Ontario and stuff. The one corridor that you have to get through most of the town safely and at night, preferably, would be the big power lines they have running through right through the middle of town, kind of paralleling the 401. Just throwing it yeah. out there for Toronto yeah, people. They're, yeah, they're the, you got the hydro lines there, and you got the Don Valley River too. Like you got the Don yeah. River, and the Don Valley is fairly green, but like it's you know you've still got all like there's a lot of people, right? If you're, if you're in if you're in downtown Toronto, let's use that as an example, right? You've got you're surrounded by five million people that all want what you have. 
Oh, yeah. And you mentioned the indoor camping trip aspect, actually, because that's one of my next points there is the fire hazards. Uh, in any sort of emergency situation, and it happened actually just last winter near our place, is that as soon as the power goes off, there's always going to be some yokel playing with candles poorly, <laughs> starting a fire. And basically, if you're in an apartment, one thing to be concerned is not yourself, but other people's misuse of heating implements, whether it be just candles or whatever, because that turns, in, turns into a massive fire hazard, as you could probably attest to. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, I, you know, I, like I said, I lived in apartments for, oh, I lived in five apartments over seven or eight years and, you know, fire alarms were just a constant thing. Right. And some of those, most of those were just people leaving things on the stove. Sometimes it was, it was a little bit more serious, but I mean, from a, from a construction perspective, there are two basic ways that, that, that condos are built. Um, one is that they have, um, you know, standard stick partition walls between the units that are usually double layered five eighths drywall. Sometimes they're two by six. They're usually insulated to, to help keep the noise down. Um, some are concrete walls all the way through concrete walls. You're pretty well safe. You're pretty, you're pretty much guaranteed. Like it, it takes a lot. Like, it takes a really big fire to bring a building like that down and make that unsafe. But, um, those those like those wood separation like those, those stick frame separations are you know you've got you, you you'll have a couple of hours but yeah. it's you know it's not it's not infallible and it's going to get warm it's going to get uncomfortable it's just not going to get deadly for a while so um you know that, that's and that's a uh, that's another you know it's it's a thing right people are people are going to as they you know as they get cold as they get desperate people are going to do stupid things yeah, we had wow. actually, the power wasn't even out for like three or four hours uh, last winter. We had that that forty plus hour uh, power outage there. Was you know for a few hours when the house across the bay caught fire because the kids were playing with candles and that was the end of it. Yep. So whole house. Well, went and up. that's it. I mean, you know, I think everybody at some point in their life has been told have a bunch of candles and a box of matches around in case the power goes out. Yeah. But when it actually happens, people, people start to panic. Like, Oh, I need like 17,000 candles going because if life is not as illuminated as it is on a normal day, I'm going to die. Right. The boogeyman's going to come get me. Yeah. So every single candle that they can, rather than just a couple that they need. And one tips over and all of a sudden you've got, you've got a pretty significant problem really quickly. So I guess or, so one, I take burns, or one burns low. Yeah, so my takeaway from that, I think, is that, okay, so if it's a short-term shit-hit-the-fan situation and the apartment catches fire because of, you know, negligence, then having a bob is a must, including, like, backups for everything on your hard drive. But Absol- even if it, Absolutely. Yep. But if it's it's a long-term situation, you still need a bob because you're going to want to get the heck out of there. So. <laughs> you have to. I mean, you, you made a really good point that, you know, it's not sustainable long-term, right? You can yeah. – you can, you can be well prepared, right? I, you know, if you live in a, if you live in an apartment and, and you, there's a storage unit in your, there's a storage room in your, in your apartment and you can, you know, you can stack those, you can stack those shelves with, you know, cans for, you know, probably, you know, probably four or five weeks. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about the average apartment that I've been in, you know, in my, in my area, you could, you could realistically have four to five weeks worth of food for two or three people. But beyond that, like, there's no, there's nowhere to, there's nowhere to go from there. Like you, you can't go out and forage because there's nothing to forage. You're in a concrete jungle. Yeah. And you can, you know, you might go, you might be able to go out and find some squirrels, but you know, squirrels and trash pandas are everywhere, but there's not a whole lot of, you know, you're not going to be able to go find a deer. 
Uh, I mean, in, in my area, there are coyotes, like in, you know, in downtown London, Ontario, there are, you know, there are coyotes, there are squirrels, there are skunks, and there are raccoons. But those are none of those are none of those are high on my list. Um, <laughs> you know, you can go through the park system find deer, but if you're in a park surrounded by you know three hundred thousand people and you're hunting, you're not exactly going to be subtle about it. And then what are you going to do with that deer afterwards? Well, you're gonna have right, to share like, it before before you finish stripping it out. So people will be like, "Hey, that's a nice looking haunch you got there." It's <laughs> exactly right. Like you, by the time by the time you get back, you're you know by the time you get back and then haul that thing up the stairs, um, you're you're gonna be in pretty rough shape. So it's it's not a it's not a long term solution, but it's gonna be you know overall it can be done. I mean, I lived in an apartment. I lived on the twenty fifth floor during the two thousand three blackout. Um, I respond I, I was a first responder at that time and I went out and I worked for about 36 hours straight I came back and as I was coming in the front door of my apartment building the generator guy was coming out he had just shut down the elevators and he said I'm shutting down the generator to fuel it it's gonna be four hours before it's back on so the generator fuel powered the elevators powered the emergency lights in the stairwells powered the the air circulation stairwells, like the smoke evacuators. So I ended up, I looked up at those, at those, you know, 27 flights of stairs, 24 flights of stairs, sorry, because there's no 13th floor and I lived on the 25th. So 24 flights of stairs with my steel toe boots and my, you know, soaked through, soaked through, you know, uniform clothes. And I looked up at there and I went, you know, that's just not happening. <laughs> and oh, I so I went and I stayed at a friend's house. That actually reminds me of my actually my my employer. They um, back in two thousand three, they had, uh, same power outage there. They had a backup generator on the roof of one of their buildings, but the fuel supply for some reason, I guess the the structural integrity wasn't supporting a fuel tank on the roof, so they had the fuel tank in the basement. That was powered. That doesn't make a lot of sense. That was powered by, by the regular grid. So it because <laughs> they needed the regular <laughs> grid to pump up the fuel to the backup generator, which was awesome. So what they were doing is they were having to take jerry cans. They would like you know uh, draw straws. Short short star got it. Had to walk down to the basement with the jerry can, walk up, feed the generator, and they you know went till they ran out, and then they had to go down and get their jerry can full. And this is like for three days, right? It was it was kind of funny. <laughs> but uh, well, one of the, one of the things that happened in here here in town is that. Um, well, not here in town, but in London, one of the things that we discovered was that the um, um, the ambulance dispatch, so the Central Ambulance Communication Center uh, in London, they had a backup generator for their equipment, so they could still answer nine one one calls and could still dispatch. The building did not have a backup generator for the AC, and the windows did not open. It was forty degrees. <laughs> so, although they had a plan for one. They didn't have a plan together, and they ended up having to shut it down and evacuate the building, anyways. Yeah. So I mean, power outages. Are, so, uh, I think it's good being the fact that as an apartment building and it's a densely packed together area of people, they tend to prioritize the dense population areas. I think first yep. for power restoration, but yep. by the same token, though, you have less alternatives when the power is out, right? Absolutely. And I mean, so, you know, of the of the alternatives, right? If you're the last, you know, if you're one of the last holdouts in the uh, in the building and your supplies are running low, you don't have to go very far to um you don't have to go very far to scavenge there yeah. might not be a lot there but you can scavenge without exposing yourself terribly um another thing and i mean we're talking about an extreme situation is that apartments are actually really easy to defend there's usually one door in and out there's usually one or two stairwell doors that are pretty easy to, that are pretty easy to barricade so if you're up on the like fifth or sixth floor 
and you haven't attracted a lot of attention, chances are good that looters aren't coming up that high. And if they are, you've got you've got lots of warning because you'll be able to hear them. And if you can block off those stairwells, then you're in you're in pretty good you're in pretty good shape. Like you've got a really easily defendable um, defendable piece of uh, piece of property. Yeah, they're um, not they're not sneaking up on you. Yeah, they're definitely not sneaking up on you, and they're they're not getting around, they're not getting around behind you. So um, while Ian is uh, sure. I mean, not really. him. Where'd, where'd you go? Oh, there you are. Okay. Ian's back. Um, so, it, I mean, it's, you know, oh. but the flip side of that, of course, is that you are, you also don't have an escape route if things do go really, do go really badly. Um, so big thing, you know, a really important thing with, building, with buildings and Ian kind of talked about it earlier, right? Um, most building, most apartment buildings are master keyed. That means that the, the building manager has one key that opens all the units in the building. If that key gets out in the wrong hands, that's a, that's a problem. If somebody is loot wants to loot that building, it would be there in their best interest. The first thing to do is go into the manager's office and open up the lockbox and try and find a master key. So I would suggest that if you do live in an apartment and part and, and sheltering in place is part of your plan for a short-term emergency, have another deadbolt. They're pretty easy to take out and install, like remove and install. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, but have another deadbolt. Buy a decent quality one. A good, a good quality deadbolt is still under fifty bucks. Actually, my and dad. Uh, to... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, my dad in his acreage there actually had one of those two by four style, like medieval, like door blockers, Drop like bars. installed. Yes. Yeah. Those are fantastic. It, yep. It was They're... fantastic. So he had the uh, the you know the hardware from Lowe's type of thing, and he had slid yep. in there as a backup, so in case that somebody had the the master key or cut the padlock off or whatever part of a shop. He had this uh, basically mechanical backup that was like pick-proof, so to speak. It was uh, yep. it was pretty awesome to see. It, it, it certainly it certainly does its job, and uh, if it's installed properly, you don't even see it, right? And most like most apartment doors swing in, so you can attach brackets to the frame and drop that bar drop that bar in place, and that and that door's not that door's not getting opened, especially if you do a couple of them. Uh, you anchor it properly; it's you're you're in, you're in really good shape for that. So. Um, I would suggest if you can, if you have the opportunity, um, be up on the fifth or sixth floor. Um, most air, most fire department aerials in, in uh, urban areas can still get up that high. Um, it's also not a horrible distance to rappel down. I would not suggest just not waiting until that happens to learn how to do that. So go, go to a little <laughs> climbing gym, learn how to do it, right? But but with a harness and a rope, you can get down five or six floors without without a, a ton of challenge. How how's that uh, harness go on again? <laughs> <laughs> so you know when 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 uh, when reality is coming in the door, is not the time for you to be learning how to go out the window. But that's not a it's not a bad thing to do. It's not a bad thing to be able to do. You can you can do it. Um, but there are local there are climbing gyms all over the place. They're popping up like weeds. It's one of, it's it's the next uh, the next big thing is from is what I'm told. Um, but go and learn how to do that. And if you can uh, if you can go and uh, learn how to learn how to rappel and have a rope and have a harness and be able to deploy that quickly, um, you can get yourself out. So that's you know yeah. just uh, but not you can do that from the sixth floor. You can't do that from the twenty fifth floor. No, absolutely not. So, I guess other th subject we should touch on is water supply. Uh, another, yeah. So, when I lived on the twenty fifth floor in two thousand three, when the power went out, one of the things that we learned is that anybody above about the fourth or fifth floor didn't get water pressure. 
So yeah, so are they guys? Are they on like a water reservoir system? Like we have the big towers where you were and stuff, or how's it work? For no, that? it like, was um, in that particular building. It was all mechanical pumps, all electric pumps. So you got you had city pressure up to about the fifth floor, and then uh, above that, it was all it was all pumped up. Okay. And so when the pump stopped, when the generators were shut down and the pump stopped working, you didn't have water. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So here, what so, we did uh, at the the apartment here is we've got like a bunch of stored bottled water. Um, yeah. Of course, but I've always said, well, you know, that's good for a couple, maybe a week, two, three, but then you know you got to start thinking about how to get more water. Well, even though I'm you know in the rain capital and stuff, I don't have a rainwater catchment system on the apartments because like uh, actually Raphael, when I was talking with him, he mentioned that his strata does not allow rainwater collection. Yeah. So uh, a lot of a lot don't. A lot don't, but if you had the tools and maybe parts handy to, like, there's a downspout that goes right by my window here. So if you yep. had the tools and the spare parts available so that when something goes horribly wrong, you've got an entire roof above you that's, like, 20 times the size of your apartment that yep. could easily collect a bunch of rainwater and it's going right by your apartment, you might as well have the ability to divert that downspout and have a bucket 100%. on it ready. Uh, which yep. is something for people to consider, which is actually would give it a better water collection potential than your own, like a regular house. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, the, the the footprint of an apartment building is always bigger than the footprint of a house. And yeah. it's usually a flat roof system, so it's not running off in every direction. It's a flat roof system is being directed into, you know, specific downspouts, usually two or three of them. So yeah. even if you're catching a third of the water at roof, that's more water than you're ever going to catch at home. Yeah, and so, like, uh, to complement that, I have a uh, Sawyer water filter on the ready with the IV bag set up so you can pour it up there, and it goes down a big tube into whatever bottle you want. So it's kind of always filtering water type of thing. Perfect. Uh, alternate transport is a bit of an issue in an apartment as compared to like seeing a house because you can't just have like a uh, a Suzuki Samurai ready to go fully loaded at all times and or whatever your mugo vehicle is, um, yeah. because storage and parking space is an issue because you know in an apartment you might get one parking space with the apartment but not two or three or four. Yep. So um, I I was actually trying to think of what uh, the ideal thing is. One of my roommates actually has an e bike, and uh, the e bike is. Do you make is fun kind of him a lot for that? I do. But you know, again, he compliments. He's the yin to my yang. He's the extra greenie. I'm the you know the extra. What's the opposite of being a greenie? I don't know. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so, realist. Yeah, a realist. So, anyways, but it's awesome with the fact that he's actually kind of sold me on it a little bit because a, uh, it's got about a 30k range. It obviously has regenerative braking and and you can generate right, charge the battery while you're pedaling. But yep. also going up a hill and going somewhere quietly, it's quieter than the quietest moped slash four-stroke motorcycle, whatever you could possibly think of. And if you only have to get 20, 30 kilometers to alternate transport, that is a fantastic idea, actually, because I was thinking... Oh, it, it, it certainly is. Yeah. But yeah, like a bicycle would work. Um, another thing, again, right, you can scavenge. If, if, things are, if things are going really south, there's going to be a whole bunch of cars in the parking lot, in the, in the parking garage. Yeah. Um, it's just a ma- it's just a matter of you know paying attention to paying attention to who goes where, what floor when you're when you're riding with them, and from there you can figure out which uh, you know which ho- which apartment has the keys in it, and away you go. Now I'm I'm obviously not advocating stealing vehicles. We're talking about you know the S really hitting the F and things things going really south and you're in a life or death situation. Well, there's big difference between stealing situations. and big difference between stealing and liberating because liberating is when you actually need something to prevent yourself from dying. You know, versus yes, steal, stealing exactly. because you just want something somebody else has is a big difference, right? Yes. Um, so you can you can liberate that and repurpose it for yourself, and um, right, you're, you you can also use that. To, you can also you know you've got you know hundreds of ga- hundreds of liters of gasoline that you can siphon from. 
right? But you know, collectively with all those with all those vehicles, um, it's well, it's it's there's certainly like there's certainly an advantage to having that many people close by, but it's the exact same disadvantage. Well, the other thing I was thinking about too is like, okay, so something you could actually hang in your storage unit, uh, put it in a closet if you really needed to, I suppose. Or some people's parking spaces are big enough you could put the bike at the front as like a dual sport bike, so like something that's good for on and off road, uh, yep. that's licensed uh, for road usage, so you can practice with it. But basically, something that you can, um, well, judging about traffic around here, even during rush hour, let alone something horrible going wrong. You know, I've never seen yet a traffic jam. A motorbike couldn't go along the in-between traffic on the shoulder, on the left side of the road. Um, up the sidewalk, right? There, the there sidewalk, are all kinds of options. Across yep. the field, everything else where the cars can't. And, like, I, I was yep. actually just stuck the other day in traffic here where literally if I would have just had my truck versus my car, I probably would have gotten to be able to go over some grass and get to an empty road. But you just don't do it in the car, right? Yeah, so absolutely. A, a dual, dual sport bike would come in super handy in a large city where traffic jams are a thing. Hundred so, uh, percent. Um, yeah, driving the driving the four hundred one, we got we got stopped in traffic, and there was a there was a motorbike. He was just you know every every little spot that was too small for a car was just the right size for him, and he was just zip he was just zipping through like like there was uh, like there, he wasn't even slowing slowing down. It was uh, um, it was jealous more than anything. It was uh, it was a really effective way to get through to get through that traffic backup. Yeah. So the other thing I was just going to come back to as well is like I, we kind of touched on it briefly is that you know. Um, the preppers that focus on the the guns versus the actual like stuff that will help in 99% of cases, um, there is a thing to be considered too. Is that you know we all want to have the arsenal of guns, we all want to have all the toys, but uh, you know in an apartment perspective, I think you're better off just to have one or two uh, that are actually legit, you know, food gathering tools and whatever whatever yep. else have you. Yeah, a good, a good a good thirty a good thirty cal thirty cal rifle and a twelve gauge shotgun. I think you're you're more than you know, you can use your shotgun. You can use your shotgun for whatever, right? You know, there, yeah. there are birds all over the place, um, and also an excellent way to defend a hallway. So yeah, but I mean, because not so much the fact is that it, you might have to carry it all out, and theft is like it's everyday theft uh, from a, just a normal ops uh, perspective. Theft is a concern. So I mean, uh, yep, like absolutely, we mentioned all those people accessing your apartment without your knowledge or with no notice. Uh, frankly, I think apartment preppers should really consider cashing out of town uh, for a resupply or a supply versus storing them all at your regular house. Like maybe just have a, that bug out location figured out ahead of time. Ab- absolutely. I, th- yeah. I think an apartment, like if you're going to be, if you're going to be in place for say 72 hours, I think an apartment is a perfect way to, is a perfect place to do that where you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to get anything. You just have to wait for the power to come back on, right? You just have to wait for the floodwaters to recede. You just have to wait for whatever, right? It's going to, you know, the, that, that blizzard's going to blow through. The roads are going to get plowed. You just need some time on your own. Like you just need to be self, self-contained for three days. Fantastic. I think an apartment is a perfect solution for that. Anything more than that, your plan better be get out to, get out to open country, right? You better, you better have a plan to get out of town quickly. Yeah. That's pretty much all I had, but I noticed you had a good one there too. Uh, flooding, I never never really thought about that. Yeah, well, it's it's one of the it's one of the uh, kind of one of those spin off effects, right? If you're up on the fourth, fifth, sixth floor, or anything above that, floodwaters don't get that high. Yeah, I mean, so think I, about the person in the average house. I mean, uh, their basement is the first thing that gets flooded, and they're you know they're fighting that the whole time, and that's usually where most people store stuff too, right? Yeah, and that, so your you know your your stuff is pretty well safe from flooding. Uh, if you're somewhere in the middle, right? If you're on the roof, then like if you're on the top level, then you've got some you know you've got the same concern of your as, as anybody else does of your roof leaking. But if you're somewhere in the middle, the chances of the chances of your stuff getting wet are almost none. Mm-hmm. So that's 
that's kind of that's kind of that. It does a, it does a good job. Um, and then another thing to remember is that you've got you know if if there's if you're on a uh, if you're in an apartment, then you've got you've got access to the roof somewhere. And I mean, if if you're if you've watched you know '90s New York sitcoms, then the roof is you know the roof is a place to be, right? You can get you can get up there. You have access to it. Um, if you're interior, right? If you've got interior stairs, which most new buildings do, um, that door is probably locked. That gets you on the roof, but once you're up there, you can probably get back down. And that's you know those are those are usually not terribly difficult locks to defeat. And uh, talk about a great scouting location if you want to actually see what's going on and there's no, like, or radio reception, you know, higher up the better. Yep, absolutely. Uh, you know, set of binoculars and a radio, you probably like, get a lot more info than sitting in your apartment, right, where the reception oh, may not be as 100%. good. 100%. Well, yeah. I, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if it's normal, but I know our, like on the, the roof of the building that I lived in, um, the uh, the fire department actually had a, had a radio tower up there. And I know most places put cell towers up on the top of tall buildings because they get better reception than anywhere else, right? So the higher up it is, like there are usually antennas up there already. Um, you may be able to, you know, if you if you understand how those work, you may be able to tap into that and get a, you know, get a um, get a signal for absolutely anything. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I think we covered at least some basics. Uh, hopefully, we got some people asking some questions after this. Especially uh, move so, on to the podcast challenge. Yeah, so I think uh, this is a fantastic challenge. I think so. Find a workaround for your for one of your housing restrictions. So if you're if you can't collect rainwater, find have a water bob and have a plan to find to find that, uh, to fill that. Uh, you can buy a water bob by the way at rapidsurvival.com. <laughs> go see Good plug. Derek. Uh, find and also find a way to add uh, storage to your space. Uh, one of the things that I I think I read it in a, like a Canadian Home Handyman magazine or something about ten years ago. Um, they they actually talked about removing a section of drywall out to the stud bays, and you've got about a fourteen inch wide, three and a half inch deep opening, and you can put shelves in there, and you can store cans of whatever you want, as long as it's not your neighbor's wall. As long as it's not your wall. neighbor's wall. And, that, and I was I was actually going to qualify that by saying don't do that if it's part of a fire separation, <laughs> but if it's a, if it's an, if it's an interior wall, um, then you can. Do that and and end up with um, end up with a uh, with a little cavity there where you can you can add you know you can pile cans in there. So that's something that you can you know it, it adds a few more inches you know a few more vertical feet to your uh, to your day and can uh, can open up some space for you so you can have a few more have a few more cans of goodies keep you keep you safe for a little while longer. Yeah, and while I guess that mostly applies to apartment people, but I mean that could still work out to people in regular houses too. Like if you've got uh, instead of like a freehold, like a, a strata condition of a house, I mean it's the same idea. Uh, just trying to use this podcast challenge to work around some of your restrictions. Absolutely, and then, yeah, if, if once you if you've done something, let us know. Uh, send us an email, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, or uh, uh, find us on. Um, you can leave us a comment on the YouTube channel. You can leave us a comment on our brand new Facebook page. Ooh. Is that a thing yet? It is a thing. It is a thing. Yeah. So there's a very new Facebook page, so you can leave us a comment there. Let us know. Uh, let us know what you've done. Share some pictures if you're so inclined. Uh, ask questions, whatever you like. We love to. We love to hear from you. Um, so that's that's our that's our challenge out to the uh, out to the masses. So find find something you can do to improve your condition without. Um, Without you know building or or you know without without pissing off your neighbors more than anything. <laughs> Should start wrapping things up here. Um, let's just cover some upcoming events. Uh, we've only got one this time, and it's the last call because it starts tomorrow. Uh, it the, does start tomorrow. Yeah. The 2019 annual preppers meet in Desborough, Ontario. 
Astrolite. If you're not on your way there now, you're going to miss it. <laughs> Probably more than likely. <laughs> I, I have to apologize to Che if he is listening, but I tried to arrange like a quick interview for it. But next week, next year, we'll have it all squared away in time to uh, to give him a good plug for this. But uh, anyway, July 11th, 14th at uh, the website is annualpreppersmeet.com. So, shout outs. Shout outs. Uh, while I was traveling last week, I met a young lady named Nova. Uh, she moved from Vancouver to a small port town on the Atlantic because she didn't want to be in a big city when things went south, in her words. Um, so we didn't, have a, we didn't have a huge opportunity to chat about that, but uh, I have a huge amount of respect for that. Um, she was thinking well ahead, and uh, um, I hope she, uh, she, she's a prepper, and I hope she's listening. And Nova, if you are listening, thank you for the fantastic service from me and my family. We really appreciate it, and we will be back again to your facility. Right on. Uh, I've got one for listener Sean. So under the banner of It's a Small World, we were both on the Stop the Bleed class at the charity shoot, and uh, we ended up getting talking, and he goes, hey, I'm actually that guy that sent you that uh, that gun room pick. So like, he, he may remember cool. the podcast. He had the coolest gun room pick ever he sent to us. And uh, he also was actually asking for constructive criticism on his uh, indi- individual first aid kit, like an IFAC. And he yep. literally had the most squared away IFAC kid I've ever seen in my life, other than like from nice. an actual first aid instructor or a company. Like this guy was just, it was amazing to watch. It was just like, oh man, I'm so far behind the eight ball. And um, <laughs> it was perfect just to fit on like a, a Molly rig or anything else. And it was just like no BS, no Hello Kitty band aids, just the meat and potatoes, like the the tourney, the, the you know the chest seal, you know nasal failure. NPA. I can't say that out loud right now. Nasopharyngeal <laughs> airway. Yeah. Thank you. He <laughs> had it all, and the, and the, the trauma shears. Just, just, just meat and potatoes. It was awesome. So. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Um, iTunes reviews. Uh, I had a couple. Um, so I've got one Great. feedback from a listener, Benny. Uh, Benny's been on the other podcast as well, but uh, he mentioned the fact that if you have a two-in-one CO detector, if it's on the ceiling, it doesn't start going to detect any CO till it's way too late because CO sinks. So, uh, uh, CO, I'm, I was taught that CO is, um, neutral, neutral buoyancy. Okay. So if it's, if it's, if it's in your, if it's coming out of your oven, for example, and it's three feet, your oven's three feet off the ground, it's going to stay about three feet off the ground. Oh, see, I thought that's But if your air is, but if air is circulating, if your air is circulating well, then it may, it may reach, but it's, it's, it's still a good idea to have them separate, right? Have the, have as many, have your CO detectors and your smoke detectors separate, uh, less likelihood of either one, less likely, uh, either one of them is going to fail. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I was, I was kinda, I thought I was told it was tank for some reason, but maybe it was, that's just carbon dioxide, maybe not monoxide. Carbon dioxide is heavier than air, but carbon monoxide, I believe, and I will gladly say because this is something that I just learned recently is, um, is neutral buoyancy. So it'll stay kind of where, wherever it was, unless it's being pushed around by forced air. Huh. Okay, cool. Um, also, on the uh, the note of the podcast charity shoot, I got an email here from Jason Philp, and he was the guy that organized this year's pod, uh, podcast charity shoot, and he's uh, a guy that's a resident of Alberta, and I got a funny story about him afterwards here. But um, So just a quick email I'm just going to read out loud because he wanted to uh, reach out to everybody that was involved. So he said, uh, this email isn't really enough, but I don't want any extra seconds to pass before I reach out. The simple act of uh, pre-purchasing your ticket helped my team with the organization of the event and got you on a watch list, I'm sure. Uh, you contributed to our success, and from the bottom of my heart, thanks. I'm glad you were able to be on the stage at the event. Uh, unfortunately, we are not able to capture the usable audio, so we'll not be sharing any files from the evening, which is probably my biggest regret of the evening, he said. 
That's actually, I'm kind of glad because I may have had too much to drink. But anyway, I will be publicizing. Uh, I'd be the... shocked to learn that. <laughs> yeah. I'll be publicizing the final donation amounts when we have the funds collected and we do the final check presentations. I will have a write up done soon. A few details about the podcast or charity shoot. We had over 35 volunteers from 10 organizations helping out. Uh, five podcasts were performed by Jason to plug it, as well as uh, participation of others in promotion and sponsor participation, including us. Uh, dinner was sold out, the pig roast, with uh, more last-minute demand than they could actually handle, which was good. They had uh, 200 participants at the range, including all the spectators, volunteers, and shooters. And uh, new shooter, sorry, Downrange TV was their uh, shooting film as well, which was kind of cool. cool. Uh, every region and province in Canada was represented by donation or attendance. And we had participants from Canada, USA, Germany, New Zealand, and Israel that we know of. So please nice. reply to this email if you'd like to participate in a post-event survey in order to improve future events. Kind regards and overwhelming thanks from Jason. So, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and anyways, just to back it up, his actual goal was to raise $10,000 for the Big Country Anti-Viles Association and the uh, local uh, animal shelter. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, uh, he thought he was going to end up short, but one of his customers just folded out a bunch of brown-colored bills and made sure he made $10,000. But then one of the things they sold at the auction, a guy resold for like a huge profit and donated that back. And oh, wow. uh, they exceeded their goal by a large margin, which was awesome. Fantastic. And, um, that's, that's great. Yeah, like Gavin himself alone with a stop the bleed class, I think raised about five hundred bucks for the uh, the charity. So just by doing you know the regular course fee, and he's donated it all back. So uh, Gavin himself is responsible for a good chunk of that, which was pretty cool. Nice. Uh, and interestingly enough, they had a silent auction and a live auction, and we didn't know it until the actual moment it happened. But uh, it turns out Jason Philip is an actual auctioneer. So <laughs> we started doing the live auction, and of course, you know we've got a bunch of you know normal people lying around and he didn't think it would be that lively while well, Jason takes into his full on uh, auctioneer mode and it was actually a sight to behold it was to the point where he actually had to slow down and tell people what the actual bid was sitting at <laughs> and make sure they wanted to continue on with the actual bidding he goes the current amount is <laughs> it was awesome anyways uh, it was too bad it was actually was a pretty good podcast I thought uh, but unfortunately they lost the audio I don't know what happened there but um, uh, maybe next time for sure oh we live with uh, you- right yeah. So, did you have any uh, feedback as well? Um, I've received no feedback aside from uh, aside from I laugh too much, but you know I'm okay with that. Um, so I've got I've got nothing to contribute to this at all. Right on. Well, I'm going to bring episode 28 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out. Take a few minutes to submit a review. It helps other people find us. You can also find us at PrepperPodcast.ca and now, like Alan mentioned, on our Facebook page. So just search under Canadian Prepper Podcast. We do record these shows live on YouTube chats. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. You can also contact me directly via Instagram at PPSWO. All right. You can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. You can also find me giving me my t- <laughs> me giving my two cents worth on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us exposing more government waste, squirreling off on the odd firearms-related banter, and generally airing our grievances online versus at the local watering hole. Perfect. Please check out rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can find uh, Eric there on the live chat if he, uh, if he bothers to show up. Um, Lots of lots of really cool gear there, including water filters and water bobs. Um, 
You can also get Eric at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. That will get any one of us eventually. We, we will all, it will all filter it to us. So love to hear from you. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. And we'll, uh, um, we'll either completely ignore you or we will, uh, we'll bring it up on, on air. Right on. So thanks for joining us and tune in for the next episode when we're going to be wargaming the concept of two days until shit hit the fan. What would you do? So until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. Mm-hmm.